Hello everyone, Amadorn here, and welcome to the Tangled Crossroads. Today I have a friend with me. Um, he's also a dungeon master for games that uh, I play in. Um, uh, we just wrapped up a three-year campaign here back in October, and we're getting ready to start another one. Um, would you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell people where you can be found? Hey everyone, I am the Dungeon Meister. You can find me on YouTube at the Dungeon Meister seventy-seven. And as Amradorn said, I am a fellow Dungeon Master. I've been playing D&D for about 15 years, and most of that has been intertwined in some way, shape, or form together. So, happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining. Um, today, we're going to be mostly talking about Session Zeros. Now, I just recently hosted my Session Zero for the campaign that I'm getting ready to run here in January that you're going to be playing in. Um, and I know the opposite is true here. Later on this month, you're going to be mm -hmm. hosting a Session Zero for a game that I'm going to be playing in. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, we really didn't do Session Zeros. We just kind of made characters and started playing. But as time has gone on, I feel like Session Zeros are more important. How do you feel about them? Well, kind of like what you're saying with as As time gone on, I really think the nature of Dungeons & Dragons has changed over the years. Uh, especially in a more modern setting with, you know... The access that people have to like get information from the outside world with the internet and all the books and things that are available, that really has kind of unleashed the creative imaginations uh, of people, you know, everywhere. And I think that plays a lot into the modern age Dungeons and Dragons, where it's less about just being a strict dungeon crawl and more about really putting yourself into the shoes of the character that you want to create and shaping a story around them. Definitely, I, I can see that. You know, back back when I was a kid, it was mostly you know how many monsters can you kill and and how much treasure you can collect. And um, there really wasn't the, is the this emphasis. Still talking about the game, or is this just going outside? No, we're <laughs> this is still a little bit But yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't really as much into the role play as we are. I mean, the game that that we just wrapped up. That was a very heavy roleplay campaign. It, it was amazingly fun. We'll talk in a different episode about some of the crap that Theo got up to. <laughs> but um, Session Zeroes also help, at least in my opinion, help set expectations for the game. Um, have you felt that as well? It, yeah, it's definitely things that are important to get out of the way. Like, at the very beginning... And I say that in, like, terms of, like, figuring out the kind of setting that everybody is comfortable playing in, you know. You might have, like, a, a table of people who are all about the combat experience, and if you're planning on running a campaign that's all roleplay, and, uh, you know, you can go three, four, five sessions without combat, if you have a table that's full of combat expecting players, the session will probably crumble very quickly. And so not just setting you know, the expectations for the course of the campaign, but also, like, what you can, like, expect from your players as the dungeon master and what your players can expect from you. Right. Now, I, I put together a document that was based heavily on a document that you put out at the beginning of your last campaign that had player expectations, DM expectations, um, setting information and stuff like that. Um, are you planning to do that for your next... Yeah, um... Since I kind of originally did that, um, pretty much all of my campaigns moving forward during Session Zeroes will have a similar guideline 
it'll be updated to fit, you know, whatever kind of world setting and however many players there are and what day of the week we play on. So, like, really minor adjustments to it, but I think the core of it is is pretty solid and pretty universal. I feel like there could be anyone who could pick up this document and look at it and be like, this is a reasonable list of expectations for players and teams. Right. Now, I also play in a game that is on Twitch, um, that is streamed on Twitch by uh, a DM that, that runs it. And she did a Session Zero as well. Um, we actually streamed our Session Zero, which is the first time I've ever done that. Um, but she also covered things like, be, because the setting of that game is set in Barovia with Curse of Strahd and stuff, there's a lot of gothic horror in there. there there's uh, some topics that could be considered you know, disturbing by some people. So that was a topic that we discussed during the session zero is, you know, what are we comfortable with? Have you incorporated any of that into your play? I think it's a big part of session zero is kind of establishing boundaries from, you know, both a in-game character's perspective and a out-of-game, you know, person perspective. You don't want to cover any topics that is going to make anyone feel, you know, really uncomfortable. And so being able to sit together as players and DMs at the very beginning and talk and address all that stuff, it really goes a long way for shaping the course of the campaign, because I don't think there would be anything worse than, you know, being in the middle of a session, maybe a year or so into a campaign, and then suddenly hitting a trigger point that, you know, you may have incorporated as integral to your story, but now you may have like a player who is not comfortable with that, and now you have to kind of reshape everything. So session zeros kind of help set boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Yep. For other DMs and stuff, game masters out there, um, and obviously a session zero doesn't have to be strictly a D and D thing. It could be Pathfinder. Pretty much any tabletop RPG could use a session zero. Um, what kind of advice would you give to other DMs? who are planning on setting up a session zero? Uh, I think it's important to make sure that the topics you cover in your session zero are kind of understood by everybody at the table. Um, you really want to go into this on a very neutral setting. You want to make sure that, you know, everyone knows that this is a kind of open discussion where you know, the things on your session zero itinerary are, you know, subject to change in terms of like you know, if your expectations are that everybody be here at a certain time and a player can't make it at that time, now that is a good time to establish, okay, well, what can we do? You know, I want to start at four. You can't be here till five. You know, can everyone else make it at five? Everyone's here to talk about it. Right. So just making sure that everyone knows that a session zero is a, is a fantastic opportunity for their voices to be heard at the very start. That way, if they do have anything like schedule complications or anything like that, it can be worked and sorted out at the very beginning, as opposed to having to, you know, do it at the start of session one. Right, and along those lines, you can also talk about optional rules, house rules, kind of clarify those things as well um, during during the session zero and, and decide which ones you're going to use. Because I know, like, the, the player's handbook and the DM's guide do have some optional rules in the back, of course, we're both, you know, we've both watched a lot of Critical Roles, so we've picked up some stuff from there as well. Um, I think we both use uh, some sort of version of Matt Murther's Death Resurrection yep. Resurrection Rolls, and I kind of, you know, the idea of using healing potions it, either as an action or a bonus action, and depending on and whether or not you roll the dice or take the max, I think we both picked up 
you know, I picked that up from you, and I don't know where you picked that up at. I picked that up from a YouTube video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere out there, there's like a like a video that's like best uh, like best homebrew or house rules kind of thing, and right. um, that was one of them that I had seen that that kind of stuck with me. Uh, do you watch any of Matt Colville stuff? I have in the past. Um, I've seen very little of his actual like campaigns that he runs, but I've seen a lot of his like kind of guide and tip videos that he's put out over the years where you know like how to be a better dungeon master yeah. how to be a better player things yeah. like that i i definitely have watched most of that series the chain of akron series where he actually ran a group um i watched through it um and i thought it was a pretty good campaign now in the session zero that i just ran here recently uh we also rolled for stats and crit base I mean, everybody came to the table kind of with character ideas and stuff, but we hadn't rolled for stats and made the actual characters. Um, is that is that something we're planning on doing for yours? Yeah. Yep. I think Session Zero is a good time to do that because, you know, it is a great way to keep everybody honest where you roll your stat dice in front of everybody else so that if you get insanely high stats, you know, you have the proof. Um you guys don't know it, but uh, Amadorn's dice are absolutely loaded. They are not loaded. They are super loaded. <laughs> they are not loaded. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we just go through it real quick? What are your most recent stats that you rolled? Okay, well, let me pull up Adric here, because he's the one that we rolled as the character for... Because in my campaign, since we've only got four players, we're going to be having a, uh, a GM character. So Adric is a dwarf, okay? Um... So after his, his uh, bonuses from being a dwarf, he ended up with a 15 strength, 14 dexterity, 18 constitution, uh, 14 intelligence, 18 wisdom, and an 8 charisma. <laughs> and that's, I want to also interject, that's after he had stat scores taken from him. Yeah. Because <laughs> some, some other of us, like me, uh, didn't have the best stat arrangements when we rolled. And so his stats were so high that he said, eh, just pick one of mine to take a minus two from and just add it to one of yours. So <laughs> two of us did that. So that's his stat score after an effective minus four was taken away from him. So he claims his dice aren't loaded, but I just don't buy it. They're not. They're not loaded. But I, I will say on 4d6, dropping the lowest, the average is probably about 13 to 14. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> uh, they're just really good dice. <laughs> um, also, during the session zero that we did, we did some uh, character backstory information. Not a lot, but we were able to kind of tie uh, settings to characters a little bit. And also, um, uh, a couple of the players were able to make connections between their two characters during my session zero. Kind of hoping to see that um, in the session zero coming up for you as well. Um, I kind of have an idea what kind of a character I'm going to play. You know, with, with that, the Session Zero can kind of build a camaraderie between the between the players and the characters and kind of give the group an, uh, a reason to exist. How did that work out in the previous campaign that, that we played? Because I know we did a Session Zero there. Um, we, we had a Session Zero where everyone had kind of brought in their character ideas, but... The character ideas, like, by the time you, they came to the table, they were pretty already almost set in stone with everybody having a very good idea of what they were going to play. Everybody was kind of individualized from each other in terms of, like, 
you know, where they were from in the world and things like that. And so the start of the campaign actually was, was kind of a little rough. Um, it, it took a little bit for everyone to kind of get on the same page, but... Of course, we all started at a tavern. Yeah, the classic. <laughs> the classic tavern start. So even though in the tavern, like, the group was forced together, you know, quote-unquote forced, it still took a little bit for the characters themselves to kind of warm up to one another. And I think something that I didn't do in Session Zero last time that I might not necessarily encourage but remind people that it is an option if you wish to do it is that your characters do not have to be strangers going into the session. You know, whether it's a very loose relation, at least to the point of like, yeah, I know this, I, I've heard of this person, we can trust them kind of thing. I think starting like that with like a sense of a very, very basic level of trust so that it kind of skips the, the early parts may be beneficial to some, but you know, maybe not. that's not for everyone. Maybe the kind of initial distrust and everything, you know, kind of going back to Critical Role, Critical Role's campaign tune, kind of, uh, campaign two started off the same way, where a lot of their characters didn't really trust each other in the beginning, but then, you know, by the end of it, everybody came together. Um, versus like their campaign one where a lot of them were pretty good friends at the very start so it's just kind of you know different settings and different worlds will cause for different things it was kind of interesting in in the, the last campaign where you know because yeah we, we started in a traditional tavern um we had this encounter with this uh creature that ended up putting a mark on us that we all had to kind of figure out how to how to deal with um we were all basically strangers to each other, you know, had our own stories of how we ended up in this tavern at the same time, but there was a lot of friction in the group that kind of had some interesting character moments uh, throughout the campaign, and I also really remember that while our game lasted about three years in real time, in game terms... I think we only covered maybe four, four or five months in game, which was really kind of interesting and weird. <laughs> the time compression of the game, um, well, but and that's something like that. Like me as a dungeon master is like I'm still working on and struggling with with like time advancement because you know it's hard to look at a picture of a map and and be like how long does it take to get from city to city? You know, you might ballpark, you know, like two weeks to go from this town to this town. Then, like, you think about it, it's like, how many miles are you covering in a day? And how many miles is it from this town to this town? And it's like, you know, if we were to walk from from where we are now, you know, an hour away to our state capital, like, how long would that take? To, you know. to walk it, probably a day or two yeah. at most. And But then you think about... Well then, what if I'm going clear across the United States? Yeah, because that's a, a lot of times like when you look at a map, like the maps are often condensed, but it's a chunk of land. You know, it's a continent itself, and a lot of times you'll go from like one end of the continent to the middle, and it's like, could you could you do that in two weeks? Like I have no idea. I, I'm really bad at like <laughs> time management in that regard. <laughs> well, I I mean I remember reading like some old books about the Oregon Trail and stuff like that, and I think that trip was, like, from St. Louis to Oregon back in the 1800s was, like, six months. 
you know, of course you're crossing the Rocky Mountains and, mm-hmm. and everything, and you're having to stop, and you're probably only doing a you know a few miles a day because you're only moving as as fast as the slowest person mm-hmm. in, in, in your group. There, there, there was a few steampunk type elements in your world as well because you have airships and you have trains mm-hmm. um, or magically powered trains. I, I don't remember us ever actually using one. But we you didn't. We no, used, you never took the trains. <laughs> we did use the airships a couple of times. You did. You used an airship once and you brought home a butler. <laughs> <laughs> well, we needed it for the new keep. Ah. <laughs> uh, so we've kind of talked about, you know, trigger triggers, um, sensitive topics, uh, creating characters. Um, what are the things do, do you feel like are uh, house rules? We've talked about that a little bit. What are the things within a session zero do you feel like um, are, are good to include? Um, a little bit of knowledge about the setting you're going to be playing in. Um, like for me, a big part of my session zeros is, you know, not only just listening to what everybody has to, to say about, you know, bring what characters they plan on bringing to the table and things like that, but it's also being like your first opportunity as a dungeon master to introduce this part of your world to the players. Or if you're running from a campaign, from a book, it's an opportunity for you to kind of set the bar for your players as to your understanding of the world you're about to step into, whether it's your own homebrew world or you're playing from a book. Um, not everybody is going to know, you know, if you are playing from a book, not everybody's heard of the book before. You know, they might not understand what Barovia is if you're playing Strahd. Right. You know, if you're playing a homebrew world, obviously they're not going to have no idea about what they're stepping into. And so establishing a little bit of lore and background about the setting that you're going to be playing in, I feel like is also a very important part of, of Session Zero. Because that will also help them, you know, I encourage people to come to the table with character ideas. But I typically tell them to hold off on their backstory until after session zero. Because then they'll have a full understanding, or at least a better understanding, of the setting they're going to be in. And they can kind of pick, you know, look at a map and be like, I think my character would be suited, you know, best suited to be from these mountains. Or this forest. Or this city. Things like that, and then once they decide where they're going to be from, then you have an opportunity to work, you know, closer with them and be like, okay, well, you're from here. These are things that you would know about your region, right. your starting region. Now, I, I know in, in the last campaign when I was making Theo, I wrote the backstory for him, and I even created, you know, the little village that he was from, which I still can't pronounce. <laughs> Thank you, uh, random fantasy name generator with. Greek as the name. Well, the name out. generator gave us some <laughs> glorious names. <laughs> yeah, it did. All hail the butt touch. <laughs> and the big blow. And Those were some pretty blow. good names. Which are great names for ships. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I basically made all of this with really only having seen your map and not really having a whole lot of background information because I don't think we hadn't had really had the session zero when I made Theo's backstory I don't think um, I know we're both using homebrew wor- worlds uh, the game coming up is set on the same world as the one that we played in but a different continent um, I know I'm playing a gemstone dragonborn and I think uh, one of the other players is also going to be playing a dragon board of some kind, but I'm not sure what. Uh, 
is that going to play into the setting? I, I know I'm kind of kind of kind of poking for hints at, at, the, at the world fishing, a little bit. Fishing for clues. I, I am a little bit. Uh, <laughs> The setting of the world, um, like, will that affect the continent? The the kind of beauty of it is, you know, it might. Um, you know, depending on what you make in your backstory, uh, I often take a lot of inspiration from player backstory to include in the world, you know, kind of like what we did with Theo, where you made a village, and we just kind of fit it somewhere where it made sense to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't originally plan for that place to be there, but... You know, it was in your backstory, and so there it went. And the same thing is true, you know, for future campaigns. If you decide that, you know, you want to make a, a gemstone city of some kind, you know, maybe it does play a big part in it. Um, but as See for, if I can make it pronounceable next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't, I will. <laughs> um, but as far as the, the setting of the world, um, I don't think... In that regard, it'll change too much. However, the dynamic of the world is a totally different story. You know, obviously, you, you'll know more once the campaign starts, but the uh, inclusion of, you know, you guys wanting to play Dragonborns, I think, will have a larger scale effect than perhaps you may realize it right now. Um, I, I don't think we have decided whether or not our characters know each other, but I suspect we will. Um, Going back to kind of building that sense of camaraderie or at least familiarity between characters within a group that's going to be playing together. Uh, we're not starting at level one. For, we did. We started at level three for your for your previous campaign. We're, we're starting at level three for the campaign that I'm running, and I think you, you've mentioned that we're yeah. going to be starting at level three. Um, I, I know pretty much everybody at our table is is pretty well experienced as far as play goes. Um, do you feel like that's a, a good place to start? Uh, have you wanted to start at level one with a campaign or, or even a higher level be later on at some point in a campaign? I think that it really depends on your players at your table. You know, like you mentioned, our players are pretty experienced. And so I think with experienced groups of players, I think level three is a fantastic starting point because most of the time when you create a character, you have this vision of them already in your head. You know, if you plan in their backstory that they are, you know, a are training to be an assassin or they're already an assassin, you know, it, it feels really weird to make a backstory about being an assassin and then you start at level one and you're not really an assassin yet. You're still working your way there. Um, but starting at level three gives you access, gives every class access to their archetype. Like, what, what sub-archetype are you? You know, so if you make a backstory about being an assassin, you start at level three... You're an assassin rogue already. Same thing with, you know, a thief or whatever it is you want to be. However, you know, um, in addition to, to what I run here with you guys, experienced players, um, I've recently started running for a group of inexperienced players, um, and none of them have ever touched D&D &D before. There was one person who has kind of played a little bit when they were in high school, but everybody else was brand new. And I think in a setting like that, level one is almost a necessity that you have to start at because they don't know anything. And I think to drop, you know, a level three start on somebody who has zero experience um, would just be so confusing and potentially overwhelming. It could ruin their whole, you know, experience of the game. Right. Now, in the game that I play in on Twitch, I'm one of two experienced players in a group of five players, three of which who have basically played very little D&D &D before. 
And so we did start at level one. Um, but at the end of the first play session, uh, we actually leveled up to level level two, and then like a couple of sessions later, level three. But those first couple of levels were really meant to kind of give those new players the opportunities to kind of learn um, how to play, how to look at their characters, how to mm-hmm. read their character information, because you really want your players at the table to really kind of understand their characters as they're playing, um, because if they don't, if they're looking through the book all the time, it kind of slows down play, especially in combat. Combat can take forever. Of course, last campaign, we, we had combats that lasted, what, the, the fight with the matron was like almost three sessions. Three sessions, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the ultimate one there at the end of the campaign, that was two sessions, but... Uh, it, it was it was two sessions against the actual big bad, but kind of the the finale, you know, trigger with the with the first fight. I would say it probably you know the final part of the campaign that like kind of signaled the end was probably the first fight um, against Gil, and you know I think his fight took a couple sessions, and then the you know Hound Hydra the finale took another couple sessions. Yeah. So. You know, even though they were different fights, it was all part of the same kind of ending ending theme. And so that took four sessions to get through. Plus we had like two sessions before where we were doing kind of a mass combat thing across the entire continent mm-hmm. because of the invasion that was going on at the time. So, mm-hmm. so really the end of the campaign was, what, six combat sessions? Yeah, I think it took us about a month and a half Um from the point where everyone was like, "This is it," you know, this is this is the beginning of the end. Um, I think it took us about a month and a half, you know, real time to to get to get through it all. Right. And, and if we had started at level one, we'd probably still be playing. To be honest, <laughs> get started at level one, maybe my tower would still be there. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh sorry, I'm sorry. Low blow, low blow. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about that in another episode. <laughs> yeah. That was an explosive encounter. <laughs> um, so in both of our campaigns, I think we've chosen to do milestone uh, leveling as opposed to XP leveling. Um, what was your emphasis for making that decision? Um, I feel like milestone like to me personally milestone leveling just feels more rewarding um where after you have concluded like either a a large arc or have you know bested a a very strong opponent being able to be rewarded with a a level up or or something of that nature like it, it just feels more satisfying to me as a player um and it it allows for more like natural progression through a campaign where you know, the, the Dungeon Master can kind of set the pace of it. If you are planning on playing a long-term campaign, um, you know, you can slow the early levels down a little bit. Um, if you're wanting to play, like, a, a quicker-paced campaign, you can kind of uh, expedite the later levels. Because um, when you level through EXP, by the time you get to, like, level, like, 8 or so, um, levels after 10 really become a challenge you know you you can fight things of like a a cr like 20 and split up the xp between five people and have put maybe 10 percent of a dent into the way to level 11 and so that to me is just it feels unrewarding and can can really 
take the excitement out of the later levels of a campaign. Yeah. I and I agree with that for the most part. Um, I I do my my reasoning for not using XP over milestone is I just don't want to deal with the with with the <laughs> with the calculations with, with, with the math that you <laughs> yeah. have to de deal with in order to keep XP. Um, so I've pretty much just you know for for ease of story it, it really now XP does have good sides as far as like you know if you're if you're playing in a campaign and you know maybe characters are kind of switching out from time to time so some characters might be at different levels within the story and that cause kind of its own sorts of interactions so I can see some advantages to using XP at times um, but for myself and I think for you it, it's really just for story purposes it just feels better to do milestones and that's another thing that's kind of like one of the things that's addressed in a session zero setting is you know what does everybody feel comfortable with you know the DM can choose their preferred style and if all the players are cool with it then you know that establishes that expectation right away at the beginning because then the players know that they also don't have to keep track of their XP right but one disadvantage of using milestones is sometimes the levels don't quite match where you're wanting the powers of the big beds to be. Um, I know that towards the end of the last campaign, we ended up jumping two levels. Late levels. There. Yeah, because uh, we were, what, level 18 at the end? Mm -hmm. But we jumped from, like, 16 to 18. Um so, is that something that um, you have run into with milestones a little bit more, more frequently? Is not being able to keep up with a little bit. Um, a lot of milestone depends on the pacing of the campaign, and for this most recent one, the end game kind of took off, like skyrocketed unexpectedly. <laughs> um, <laughs> There, there were a couple of acceleration points. <laughs> there were, you know, at the, like, right before we kind of entered into this this final conclusion, um, I think you guys were around, like, level 14. Uh, and initially, like, I had still, like, another couple large arcs for you guys to go through before actually triggering the finale. But just the way the story went and the way the dice worked and the way that everything happened, the ending came much faster than really any of us were expecting it to. And I, I always like to take, you know, if we're going for a long-term endgame campaign, I always like to take my players to a minimum level of 17. Because 17 is when all your big casters get their ninth level spells. And, you know, who doesn't want to toy around with ninth level magic? Uh, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what casting class you are. Ninth level is a pretty big level. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they say a lot of campaigns hardly ever get past, like, level 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's definitely nice to be able to get up into those higher levels. And, yeah. And so we we weren't we weren't at the point where i had expected or thought you guys to be when the finale started unfolding and so we did jump a few levels very quickly just to kind of get you guys to those big power levels so you'd have at least one or two sessions to kind of play with it um you know before the campaign wrapped are you looking at any sort of tools or 
or ways to kind of monitor that in, in your upcoming campaign so that we... Uh, I mean, there's always going to be the unpredictable character that does <coughs> strange things. <laughs> but, uh... Um, it's going to be, you know, for me, it's going to be a challenge next campaign because this one that we just finished with it going for about three years is, is my longest I've ever run, and I think the longest a lot of people have been a part of that at least we played with at our table. And I definitely think by the end of year three... You know, pretty much all around, everyone was starting to feel the wear of it. You know, not necessarily because they, they didn't like it anymore, they weren't having fun, but it was just, we were we all knew we were getting to the end and just kind of ready to wrap things up. And so going into this next one for me, trying to keep things kind of restricted to around a two-year time frame is kind of what I'm going to shoot for. Uh, whether, you know, I don't exactly know how we're going to do that yet. Um, I'm kind of looking at, like, pacing tips from various resources that kind of help, you know, navigate getting through the course of a campaign. But And since we're going to be playing basically two campaigns side by side, you know, I'm running one that you're playing in, and I'm going to be playing in one that you're running. I'm trying to trying to keep it at about the same pace. So, yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to see how the two campaigns kind of play out. So is this permission that if, if you start blowing my stuff up again, I am legally allowed <laughs> to blow up your stuff? <laughs> well, <laughs> stranger things have happened. <laughs> I can always make a new world. <laughs> We haven't actually blown up any planets, although we did blow up a mountain in that last game. Yes, you did. You guys blew up a lot of things. <laughs> so overall, I feel like session zeros are pretty important. They help you set boundaries. They help you set ground rules. Give out setting information. Um, character creation, where people can kind of work together to make their characters as a group and kind of give reasons for why their characters are going to be together if it isn't something that is story-based like it was for your last campaign where where nobody knew each other but there was a story reason for us to be together is there anything that we're missing mm, i don't think so i think that that kind of covers like the general like on a, a surface level of like why session zeros are are you know pretty important and why they could be included in almost you know any kind of RPG setting. Yeah, I, I really feel like there, there are some games in there out there like Vampire the Masquerade could really use a Session Zero because that game can get pretty weird at times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially with, with characters being at odds with each other a lot more in, in Vampire. Um, DCC kind of builds its Session Zero into its mechanics with the funnel. Um, you know, we've got another DM who who ran uh, a funnel for us for DCC on Monday nights, where uh, everybody starts with four characters. Um, you, you're rolling your dice at the table, and, and uh, I end up having three of my characters die during session zero. <laughs> Um, and then my fourth character in, in, in the last session that we played, my fourth character from the funnel died, so I've had to make new ones. <laughs> so, 
So I think there's uh, five of us, five or six of us in that game, and I'm the only one who has lost all of our starting characters. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Might be a little bit reckless. <laughs> but um, overall, I mean, Session Zeros seem to be able to create a good foundation for a campaign, and I think it's a lot of the reason why the your campaign lasted the way it did. Um, the fact that we were able to have three years of awesome adventures was based off of the Session Zero and the story that followed. Um, I see D&D &D as group storytelling. It, it's everybody sitting around, telling a story together, reacting to, you know, kind of like an improv session, and the dice and the rules of the game are just kind of there as guidelines. Mm -hmm. that I, I see that a lot. We've got good foundations for the campaigns that we're going to be doing going forward. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Session Zero for your next campaign. Um, see how much trouble I can cause. <laughs> we start causing trouble before the game starts, and we're going to start having issues. <laughs> but uh, overall, I think, we're, think we've got a, a good setup. So I think that is about all the time we have for this session, for this episode, uh, the very first episode of the Tangled Crossroads podcast. Thank you for stopping by. and yeah, Thanks uh, for having me. Part of this. Be glad to come back. Um, and um, until next time, everybody have a good day, and uh, we'll see you. Goodbye.